Voice of Fintech. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech Africa series. I'm Rudy Fala, the founder of Voice of Fintech podcast. In this series, you will hear inspirational stories of entrepreneurs, investors, incumbents, and ecosystem hub leaders from Africa. And this episode is hosted by Patrick. Welcome to the Voice on Fintech podcast, where in this exciting episode of the Africa series, we'll be breaking bread with another trailblazer in the Kenyan and African fintech space. She's done it all, I can tell you, from founding and exiting her fintech startup in 2015, Tele, to rising to both national and international acclaim. She now runs Pezesha, a digital financial ecosystem connecting and empowering the underserved in Africa through financial education, credit decisioning, and connecting SM- MSMEs with affordable financing. Good to have you on the show, Hilda. How have you been? I'm very well. It's just been a busy start of the year up to now. I'm glad to be part of this. At least it's, it almost sounds like it's a break from all the busy schedule. Sounds good. Um, yeah, I'm sure I didn't cover everything in my introduction, but would you like to say more about what Pezesha does and what's new in your shop? Like what are the recent developments in the last, say, one, two years or so? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me, Patrick. I'm really glad to be here and um, bring Pezesha's uh, world into this uh, podcast. So basically, as you rightly said, we are a digital financial infrastructure and marketplace that enables the underserved SMEs and merchants. So basically, where banks have completely excluded these people for one reason or the other, of course, the main, as we know, is collateral. They don't have collateral. Majority of these SMEs are operating in an informal structure. Um, And so... Pezesha has digitized their world and brought them to be part of the form of financial uh, inclusion. And so what we do to enable that capital for their business is we take a collaborative and embedded approach where we partner with other people to allow that capital to flow across the value chain. And in that manner, we ensure it's productive and it leads to prosperity for everyone in the value chain. In terms of developments that we've had, I think um, we've really continued to be agile and look at the opportunities that present themselves as far as SME financial inclusion is concerned. We're still learning a lot. This is just part of the agility that Mm. comes with running a a startup. But again, we've done tremendous work in really um, making sure our lending infrastructure is scalable, which is what we've been really focused on. And I think a lot of people underestimate how long it takes to really get it right, building an infrastructure. So we're really excited that we are the stage where we're now just growing. And it's very exciting because we have different problems than we had before. And that's why it's also very, very exciting. And then growth comes with its own challenges because right now platform is scaling. People are using our lending infrastructure to do their own lending and enable working capital for other SMEs. We're also seeing supply chain networks coming on our table and saying, hey, how can we collaborate for you guys to enable productive lending? And so we're really excited that those developments are now starting to scale beyond Kenya and and in other markets, East Africa, West Africa, where also our our journey has has ended up to be. And and we are very glad that we're not going to stop there, but we're looking at Africa and saying, where do we go next? That's the current conversation we're having as a team. That's really exciting, Hilda. I'm glad to hear that. 
And I really feel you on that infrastructure point you just made. It, it, people really don't understand what goes into building all that. And I'm glad to hear that you're getting somewhere with building the foundation and, and, and now in a takeoff stage. But speaking on your, on your partnerships, um, would you like to speak more to that and describe the kind of partnerships that you're engaged in or looking to, to develop? And yeah, to deliver the services that you're promising to your customers, what what does it? What kind of collaborations are you get or getting into? Yeah, Pazesha um, is about um, building quality customers, quality SMEs, and also building data that allows these SMEs to be included. So we are known for those two things: data and quality SMEs. And in that regard, you'd almost say that our business being about originating quality, there's need to identify the right partnerships, the right places where you can find these quality SMEs. Because, of course, in the end, we want to make sure that we we cut apart that growth and network effect. And so in that uh, spirit, we have partnered with strategic players in the market um, who have really helped us to reach that goal. So we've integrated through our APIs with partners like Jumia, Twigger Foods, uh, Marketforce, iPay, Popote Payments, and others. I can go on and on yeah. <laughs> because the list is, is long and endless as we continue to grow yeah. and scale. But these partners, you'll summarize them to partners that are basically build a merchant network in the right. supply chain sector or, or a payment provider who has an agent network and looking to provide a working capital um, in the form of a B2B approach. And so where Pezesha comes in is we enable embedded finance okay. and we allow the merchants or the customers of these partners not to run out of stock or to be to not have float. In the case of a mobile network or agent, um, they will be able to have float to continue with their business. We've had cases where you'd walk in, in an agent and you ask, can, you, can I top up M-Pesa? And they tell you, I don't have floats. So what do you do? You go to the next agent. Yeah. Um, and so that's the story we, we are hearing. And so what Pazesha has done is we're working with partners who have these networks to, to then enable them with, with working capital. So if you go to the agents that we are enabling right now, whether it's M-Pesa agents, who we also work with through a partner called Pesa Transact, or any other merchant, a Twiga merchant, it's very rare they'll be running out of stock because Pazesha is there for them. And and we are coming handy to really ensure that they continue to survive, even in the current uh, world of COVID, to ensure that they survive and grow their business at the same time. So as we scale over and beyond Kenya, we're we're just replicating the same uh, mission and saying, how can we identify these partners similar to the ones we are working with in Kenya, and, and some of our partners, actually, they are not. They are also across Africa. So we are also scaling with them. So, for example, Copia, Global, we're working with them in Kenya, and we're already looking at other markets that we can collaborate. So it's not just a, a Kenya partnership. We're also looking at a regional partnership. And, of course, we are currently talking to partners who can also take us to a global level. So, for example, we are we're in the process of closing deals with uh, telcos, banks, and other uh, players that have a wider agent network. Okay. Uh, to allow us to then deepen our, our value for providing our embedded financing, but also additional financial value-added services that also our partners can provide beyond just credit. We want to provide an ecosystem uh, okay. to our customers and to our partners. Uh, in the end, 
I think that's going to drive the win-win where financial inclusion is concerned. And then speaking about financial inclusion, I want to emphasize meaningful financial inclusion. Right. Right. Yeah, that's... Uh, and where do investors play in these partnerships? Are they just another sort of um, pillar of your partnerships engagements? Are they just... Are they, do they just drive your partnerships? Because uh, you've mentioned everything from payments to e-commerce types of partners. And uh, how do you relate with investors and in, in, in that context? Yeah, so for investors, of course, that's where we get our capital from, which is productive capital and purposeful capital. Uh, so the investors that we work with in our ecosystem marketplace, uh, we then allow them to provide us with capital that mm. is affordable and productive to then extend to the, to the merchants or the partners we work with. So the likes of institutional lenders or investors that we work with, from banks to MFIs to DFIs and others, we're able to then um, get capital from them, which basically meets the supply side of the equation. And, and so that's where they come in. And so we build that network in a very strategic manner as well, similar to how we build the demand side. Okay. Um, and, and capital is very cost-effective to ensure that we also price it correctly to the borrower or to the SME. Mm -hmm. and, and so that is one of the benefits that we also offer because we work with investors that are able to ensure that our cost of funds are, are not high. Yeah. Uh, in that regard, then we can make sure that also um, our customers are not paying for that cost just because we're trying to compensate, which is what we're seeing in the market. So we're very excited that the investors are also playing a big role in optimizing their capital to finance the productivity of the SMEs we work with. Yeah, that's really cool. And um, what's your view on the the direction this industry is taking, the, 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 the space of embedded finance and personalized finance? I'm already hearing that you've got a play in West Africa, you're looking at other regions, you're looking global. Is this something that you see growing all over Africa or is it something unique to mature markets like Kenya and markets that already have the background, the, the foundation of, of a well-developed financial uh, system? Do you see this just probably growing into neighboring markets like Uganda, Tanzania, DRC and so on? Or is it something... Um, Niche. Just speak to the what your opinion on the trends and uh, how your organization is positioning itself um, in the in in all of this. Yeah. So I think I, I I I this is what I believe in. I think embedded financing is the future of uh, financial services industry. If you ask me, and I think that's where we are positioned as Pezesha. Mm. I think we're starting to see a lot of things come together. Maybe some people might argue that it's still going to take a long time to start providing and integrating traditional form of banking. We're talking of where the banks lie yeah. um, to then say you can merge that to the offline world or the alternative uh, financing world, which is where we play as Pezesha. So the, the way we've done it in Pezesha is we've been able to integrate through APIs in a seamless manner. We've mm. taken traditional financial services payments and all that to then allow um, people who did not have access before yeah. to have it for the first time ever. And, and the way we've done it is in a very seamless manner and it doesn't require any human intervention necessarily 
but allows everyone to be able to, to integrate through our APIs, but also allowing that innovation to scale um, through partnerships and collaborations. And we've not only just provided credit, as I've mentioned, we've provided digital tools for them to be able to, these SMEs to be able to start aggregating data that builds their credit history and, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So from origination layer to credit scoring layer to mm-hmm. collection layer, everything is fully automated. Exactly. End to end. So it's yeah. basically robust and, and it allows other people to come in and plug and play. with their services and really in an integrated manner. So we are now at the stage where we can, we have full visibility. What is the money being used for? How do we make sure that collection is at source? How do we make sure that we can build other products on top of that and so on and so forth? So my view is this is the future and this is where we are playing. And and you can almost see that it's it's already happening. It's already happening in so many ways. Um, It's just that we just haven't put those narratives on the table to say this is already happening and the future is already here. And COVID has accelerated that future, whether we like it or not, it's right. here. And this is the trends we are seeing. And this is where the future is growing. We are seeing a lot of consolidation in the supply chain sectors. Mm. We're seeing the verticals integrating. We're seeing more businesses come up and uh, and starting to take a much more sector-specific approach to grow um, and basically try and survive the current world. So for us, I think this is a good opportunity yeah. to say this is the right timing. It's already happening. And as those uh, value chains integrate, it can only get better in terms of fulfilling embedded financing, which I believe can also be defined as supply chain automated financing okay. um, in a way that allows the benefit of credit to trickle down in an efficient and effective manner throughout the entire value chain where banks um, basically, you know, innovate and and anyone else who is trying to do the same have to innovate to make sure that it's productive in the end of the day. So it's already happening, Patrick. That sounds big. And it, it basically leads me to my next question. Where is the regulator in all of this? Where is, I know, for example, you're, you got into the Kenya Capital Markets Authority Regulatory Sandbox in 2020, and you were among one of very few who were the founding cohort, if I, if, for lack of a better way to put it. And what was, I would like to know what your experience was being a part of that initiative uh, driven by the, the regulator. Um, what was your experience being part of the cohort, and what role have they played in uh, shaping your thinking about how to go about how to go about this frankly grand vision um where's the what role has the regulator played or what's the rationale for regulatory sandboxes in accelerating innovation no great thanks i I think for us as pesesha we first want to always continue to be grateful for being the first fintech ever to exit the capital markets authority regulatory sandbox in kenya and and that what that really means um, in terms of the approval we got as the first fintech to exit is it basically came in as a very timely manner, not forgetting the negative impact of COVID to the economy of Kenya and, 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 and the, the entire world, essentially. We have seen um, the benefit of this approval because it really highlighted our commitment to earn the trust of all the key stakeholders that we're currently working with and the ones we are looking to work with 
mm-hmm. in terms of uh, within our digital ecosystem and the capital markets, not just in Kenya, but outside Kenya, in, in, in really cementing that trust. Because as you're building a, a digital lending infrastructure, really requires that trust to be cemented from a capital or from a supply point of view and also from a demand point of view. As we continue to gain this trust, we believe that we want to continue with that goal of growth and scale because now we've been able to validate all the things and the infrastructure that we've been building for the last four and a half years. And and so what we want to do now is to not only just um, scale our infrastructure to, yeah. to, to more SMEs within Kenya and outside Kenya, and now looking at Africa as a whole. Um, and of course, now introduce new innovative products, even to our investors or the, or the suppliers of capital who are providing this access to, to, to affordable capital to our SMEs. So we want to do that in a very prudent manner, maintaining high standards of governance and transparency but also ensure that we continue to de-risk this capital in the entire value chain for all the stakeholders. And that's why we've taken the embedded financing approach yeah. to ensure that yeah. we de-risk the capital and everyone is protected and, and we are all just looking at the data to make the right decisions. Of course, we are really com- excited about the, the new phase of our company's growth. This approval actually marked that um, growth and new phase. And of course, the learnings... We- <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the learnings we got from the from the sandbox, I think, if nothing else, they should highlight the importance of an effective market framework. Now, to your next question on what does this approval mean in yeah. terms of the rationale of the regulatory sandbox? I think um, in very few words, sandboxes are known for testing. So in a very safe environment, the regulator knows what you're doing. You're not going to wake up in the morning and see in a newspaper that please do not work with this company because they are not (laughs) regulated or doing the right thing, especially now more than ever. You don't want to be in that scenario and you've invested a lot of time in building this infrastructure. You have a team that is very talented and they know what they're doing. You're working with other partners who really are advising you, whether it's legal advice or counsel that you're getting. Yeah. So you don't want to wake up in the morning and all this goes down to the drain. Yeah. So for us, we took an intentional effort to say, hey, how can we make sure that the regulator has full transparency about what we're doing in mm. building this infrastructure that is going to allow capital uh, to flow and it's also going to allow demand to come in and people can start investing, can start in investing in SMEs to ensure that we do it in the right manner. So in that regard, I think um, sandboxes are necessary, not just for Kenya economy, but for any other country in Africa that is looking to grow their fintech um, side of things. It's important to allow these fintechs to test, to innovate and, and to learn. And of course, with uh, the regulator closely monitoring what needs to be done right to ensure that the risks are reduced and yeah. there is no instability in whatever form or shape. But more importantly, not to stifle innovation, but to allow the innovation, if proven and tested and, and really clear that it can create a lot of impact to allow it to grow to the next level. And I think we are already seeing that happening in other countries, Patrick. Um, We are scaling in Ghana, and Ghana has actually already introduced sandboxes, which we are in the process of getting into. Mm. So 
there's a lot of lessons that Kenya has done as a fast mover that other countries in Africa are now replicating, which I think it's a good place to be. And we are also, as Pezesha, taking the lessons with us. So like last year, we were part of the winning team for the AFI network, which is more of a global alliance uh, as far as regulation is concerned on these matters. Mm -hmm. uh, so we are already informing the learnings we got from the sandbox from a global view, which is exciting. So we have a lot of power to be part of these conversations on how fintech regulations are going to turn out to be. And we are excited as Pezesha to be part and, and be part of the conversations that are happening in fintech regulation, even locally and globally. And uh, be invited to have a seat on the table is, is already an honor. So again, it can't get better than that, just being part of influencing policy with the yeah. work we're doing in Pezesha, mm -hmm. because it also impacts our growth and scale and the impact we create in the end, as far as meaningful financial inclusion is concerned. That's awesome. Um, you're telling me, basically, I get up in the morning, it's a global pandemic, I see my Instagram, and there you are at the beach. Indiani, enjoying life, but I have nothing to worry about because you've ticked all the boxes, you've uh, you've consulted yeah. all the stakeholders in a safe environment, you've earned our trust, yeah, earned the money that you make, and to the layman out there who doesn't understand, in our audience who doesn't understand what is a sandbox and what is a, you're basically saying that you are being tried and tested and proven. And proven, and you earn the trust, as you rightly said, which is where we are as Pezesha, which is, it's an exciting place to, to be. You can sleep well at night, I promise you. That's awesome. How else are you coping in this pandemic besides um, the approval of the regulator sitting pretty in his office yeah. and saying you don't make a move? How else? I've heard you say that Pezesha is adopting a nimble approach, a marketplace approach where you're inviting stakeholders to partner up in a productive way and, and bring what they can to the table. Um, I'm sure there's other measures that you've put in place to survive this pandemic, um, assuming to, it's not a short-term thing. We could be in this state for another two, three, and God knows how long. How else are you, what other tips do you have for our audience in survival during the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, this is a new world. Whether we like it or not, it's here. And um, the adjustment is already done and dusted. So I think what is really important right now is to think of the resilience, is mm. to think of what happens after COVID. And that's where we are as Pezesha. We are already thinking about now we have seen SMEs that we support grow. We have seen them thrive. How do we make sure that they uh, survive and, and become resilient in the end? So just um, COVID, I think, were, of course, came as a surprise to not just us, but I think the entire world. Mm. And um, that surprise really got us with my team to have to change our mindsets and how we think about our business, how we think about our growth. And it took a lot of um, agility to say we are happy to adapt to this new world. We're happy to change the way we think. So the fact that the SMEs that we are working with were affected yeah. uh, because we enable credit, 
um, they were also affected because they are creating jobs, they are creating opportunities and they're running businesses. And, and the fact that they were affected because the purchasing power now was directed to only essentials and people yeah. were not going to buy from them. It, just, it then means that even for us, our revenues were affected and we had to think about how do we um, help yeah. the SMEs we are working with? Because if we help them, then we are able to survive. So that was the first thing that we had to do um, to really think about how we were going to make sure that um, the COVID impact doesn't uh, lead us to a situation where we have to think about other negative things that could lead to our business um, not being able to perform. So so we, we started having those forward-thinking approaches with my team and saying, how can we support our SMEs to create that network e- effect, even despite of COVID? So we supported our SMEs through very affordable capital that they could be able to then um, still continue to keep their businesses running, even when they had another loan with us. So we, we just boosted them in a way that they would be able to have healthy cash flows um, and momentum. Because in the end, we also were, were, were helping them with other things. Like we partnered with Google, where we, we gave them digital tools um, to bring them online. So most of our SMEs also came online and they were trying to look at how they can continue to acquire customers there. And we use those tools to really continue to empowering them to to survive and, of course, stay afloat. But, of course, we also, you know, started to look at other ways we can give them tips. So we introduced our financial education program, which I think was needed more than ever before to really also bring financial health beyond financial inclusion. So and, and credit. Um, and, and so we, we started this financial education program for SMEs, where mm. we started educating them about the safety measures uh, to survive COVID. We were working with experts and partners, as I mentioned, Google um, and others who are at the front line of bringing those skills and uh, tools to and resources to our SMEs and, and even beyond our SME network. And, and we started educating them on what are some of the ways they can manage their cash flow, what are some of the ways they can ensure that they don't run out of money. Yeah. Um, they keep their inventory and they start to think about getting online. And there's a lot of training. There was a lot of helping them to also make sure that they don't get over indebted with yeah. other debt. And basically, it, it, we've seen that we've seen the, the positive impact of that because right now most of the SMEs who are affecting during COVID, uh, now they have been able to pay fully their loans just because of the, going through that process. So we're very excited that the the decisions we made um, during this period have really started to, to show a lot of impact based on the number of SMEs that have survived and continue to thrive. Let me just f- finish this uh, question by saying that um, we've also seen that there is need for more working capital in the supply chain verticals. Okay. During COVID period, we've seen a lot of suppliers come to us and say, hey, um, my retailers are asking for credit because they also have this network that they also, if the supplier is not... Um, um, fulfilling the products to the distributor, then they're not making money. And if the distributor is not um, pushing the products to the retailer, then they are also not making money. So we've seen during the COVID period that these supply chain networks come to possession and say, hey, can you help us to ensure that the value chain that we service survive? And, Mm. And we have come in handy. And I think this was also a blessing in disguise that we have provided that embedded credit through the the value chain that uh, is now extending to be a trend 
yeah. uh, that we, we, we believe it's going to continue for the future because more value chains are now aggregating, whether it's logistics, whether it's supply chain, whether it's FMCG, they are now consolidating. Um, and now we're starting to see more formalized supply chains, which ultimately we believe that's where our growth is going to come from as Pezesha, because this particular um, segment, or let me call it um, sector, yeah. it's, it's really, it's estimated to be more than $82 billion financing gap in Africa as far as this supply chain, a working capital need or inventory need is concerned, as, as trade is what drives um, the growth and the GDP for Africa. So we're really excited that there's a lot of opportunities in the midst of COVID and Pezesha has continued to take that as part of us with fiduciary duty to enable and support these SMEs with partners that we're working with. That's interesting. I, I guess that extends to some of your work as part of the uh, Kenya government COVID-19 ICT and innovations advisory team appointed in 2020. Could you tell me more about what other or what are the wider interventions that this um, this body or these sorts of task forces are are putting in place? You know that that other African policymakers can draw yeah. from the, the experience that you're having because I think I guess it's all related. At this point, you're doing it at a national level, but this is really the same work you're doing at Pezesha. You're accelerating your MSMEs, you're re-educating them with the responsible financial habits and, and giving them um, affordable capital and so many other interventions. So what are the other wider interve- interventions at a national level that you think other policymakers listening to this uh, show can borrow a leaf from that you're already a part of? No, that's a good question. And uh, I'm very honored also to be part of this committee that really the intention was to to take advantage of technology um, in our country and see how can we bring innovations to really uh, provide solutions in the midst of COVID. So I'm I'm glad to be part of this um, government initiative. So let me put some numbers um, on in front of you. We actually did receive like more than 700 submissions of good innovators locally based. We are talking of innovators who really took their time to think through how can we help Kenya? How can we help our country to progress through using ICT in the midst of COVID? So it was really amazing to see 700 submissions. And without so much marketing, people were willing to provide solutions to the current pandemic. Mm-hmm. And out of those, of course, as a committee, we sat down and we said, look, uh, we need to make sure that uh, these solutions are relevant and we can be able to implement them to solve the current um, urgency of COVID. And, and we make sure that those solutions were impactful. So we ended up choosing 85 potential innovate, innovative solutions okay. across all sectors from health, education, agriculture, transport, and, and, and other economic sectors. Um, and of course, health was, was taking the lead in terms of the number of innovations. Yeah. Um, and, and these innovators, we invited them to actually also pitch and provide their needs um, in, the front, in front of the committee, whether it was funding, whether it was policy, whether it was connections to ministry, whether it was incubation, because some of the ideas were really green and we really felt they were very good ideas, but then they needed some help in terms of yeah. mentorship. And so we as a committee with our expertise and some of us having run businesses and made a few mistakes and gone through the failure cycle, we 
we wanted to make sure that these businesses were also thinking about sustainability. Yeah. And so we, we came up with a framework um, that allowed us to take these ideas from, um, from the initial stage and to growth. And of course, we were working with the Ministry of ICT, which of course was really committed to ensure that the policy side of things was sorted. So where we played a role as a committee, at least majority of us who are entrepreneurs and um, industry players, was really to now make sure that those ideas were relevant. They were well strategic, shaped in terms of their business plan and, and all that. So we worked very closely with the Ministry of Health, uh, sorry, Ministry of ICT um, and, and other ministries, actually, not just the Ministry of ICT. We worked with other ministries to ensure that all the ideas that we had uh, shortlisted were going to the next stage of, of uh, sustainability and actually practicality of putting these ideas into the real world. Now, this is a process, as you would imagine. By the time our term in the committee ended, we had just basically proposed everything, the frameworks, and even how these startups were going to really uh, bring the implementations, everything. And, and we right now, where things are, is the Ministry of ICT and, of course, other ministries are working together to ensure implementation. Mm -hmm. But there's also a policy angle to it, and as a policy takes time. But we should appreciate, and I think this is one of the things I came to learn in, when I was part of the committee, there's a lot of work that's going on in the government, and there's a lot of work that takes time to yeah. really put all the dots together. And one of the things that I really appreciated when I was sitting in this committee is there's already certain laws or acts that have already been passed. And maybe some people in the market are still okay. <laughs> trying to ask what is happening here, what is happening here. But we have, for example, the Data Protection Act that was act then, but now it's law. And, and fintechs are actually leveraging to that. We as Pezesha, for example, we have a product called Patascore that yes. uh, is our credit scoring. And we've really implemented the data protection law into how we do things in Patascore, how we leverage data, privacy of data, how we make sure that the customer data is protected mm -hmm. and make sure that they understand what get consent and, and many other things. So there's a lot of already laws that have been passed or bills that the tech ecosystem can leverage on or, or they can already participate in ensuring that we build a much more stronger ecosystem. The startup bill 2020 is, is already in the process of you know, review Yes. So, so there's quite a lot of things that have happened. In terms of lessons that other people can learn from this committee, I think maybe just three of them, I'll talk about uh, digitization, digitization. It's a very key aspect. And I, I think COVID has accelerated this, whether you like it or not. It is important we digitize and we start thinking about how do we get not only just businesses online, yeah. but government services, access to service in, in a way that brings value to humanity. Mm -hmm. and, and I think we can't look at this as just the role of ICT. Um, it's going to be us as citizens um, being able to say we need these services to go online. We cannot be going to queue for government services anymore. Um, and our education system, we are now changing the way we think about education. There's quite a lot of innovations we got in the education sector that were about we should start thinking about practicality. Our 844 system in Kenya, unfortunately, some of us went through that. Yeah. Um, you know, we can't really attribute um, most of the things that we've learned in our lives, even entrepreneurship, to mm. that system. We've had to really have a self-drive to teach ourselves so many things, which 
the world will never teach you. How, how, how does someone teach you resilience? How does someone teach you that um, you need to really think about um, relevance and, 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 and your customers in a way that it's not just about providing a product. Right. It's more to that. And so many other things, critical thinking, data. I, I, it's endless, which now the digital world exposes us yeah. to our gaps in the education system. So there's quite a lot that not just Kenya, but other governments, I think, would learn with such ta- tax, task force that brings the right experts yeah. with practical experience and industry experience combined and academia regulators, everyone in the same room, innovation hubs, private sector, civil society. If you can bring them to the same room to speak the same language in their own world and in their own context, I think there's a lot of great things that can come out of it. And I think for me, that is the biggest takeaway I took from the committee, that uh, it's a collaboration effort. It's an ecosystem for it to work. And and the moment you start to look at it in that context, that uh, it's that effort of bringing those people to deliver services in a way that it's going to be scalable and in a way that it's transparent and technology is going to be part of it. Um, I would say government that survives COVID. And of course, uh, continuing with our, um, our economic uh, growth as a country. Thank you. That's That sounds like I see a Pezesha Academy somewhere in the horizon. (laughs) Um. No, I agree. I think, you know, one of the things, actually, it's good you mentioned that, Patrick, because I think financial education should be a national agenda um, because a lot of citizens have been, especially the youth and the young people, have been robbed the understanding of credit worthiness and how to grow up the financial ladder, and Mm -hmm. which could affect their future uh, endeavors in terms of building wealth Yep. and really building their financial stability. So we as Pezesha, it's an intentional effort we've made yep. to bring financial education and financial health, not just to SMEs, but also to the young people. And so we believe that as part of the government initiatives and our collaboration is, um, even with the regulators we speak, and, and you asked me the question of how can we participate in even open banking and other things that are coming up, is our ability to bring some of these lessons and, and best practices to ensure that the consumer is protected through financial health and making financial education as a national agenda, which is also exciting to us because that's the way you do meaningful financial inclusion in the end. Yeah, you've basically dissected my next question about what are the gaps for other fintech players to play, to assist in the long-term social development of their markets or other markets through collaborations, through partnerships. And um, you've covered it quite straightforwardly. And I appreciate that because I, I agree with the same, um, your position on this. We It can't be done alone and it can't be done only with short-term, short-term measures and short-term policy. It has to be big thinking, long-term thinking, and collaborative thinking. And uh, I wonder how you'd measure the impact because this sounds like something really complex to break down, simple problem, but a solution can't just be that simple that I come in there, build a school. um, And how would you measure Mm -hmm. the impact of some of these uh, initiatives? Yeah, I think for me, like, our economic development is key. Let me start there because we, we are seeing SMEs are already contributing 80% of the jobs in this country and across Africa generally. And so we cannot ignore that. And really the more we can bring financial inclusion to SMEs, 
I think the more we can excel as a country, as a, as a continent, and, and really drive opportunities for everyone. And so for me, the number of SMEs who can access um, credit in the informal sector and where banks are not still able to reach, which is where Pesesha is playing, I think it's already a good indicator that we are growing as a, as a business and also as an economy or as an industry and, and so many other sectors that are being impacted as a result of that. And so for me, it's really a no-brainer to start measuring the number of businesses that are receiving credit, growing out of it, and actually in the next stage, creating jobs, which is exactly what we do in Prezesha. So we have been able to measure that, and we continue to do that as we scale in other countries, not just in Kenya. Financial health, as we've already discussed, is already key to ensuring prosperity and wealth. We can't talk about financial inclusion um, as the ultimate solution to our problems of reducing poverty without thinking about financial health at the same time. So I think it's really important we start measuring um, financial health because financial health is also um, important for sustainable and meaningful financial inclusion in the mm -hmm. end. The, the number of women we are able to impact really is a as a result of financial health. The number of women who are able to continue to be part of growth in, in borrowing credit, not for their husbands, but for their business. It is because they were financially educated. So I think there's quite a lot of, and then of course, if they can be able to do that, they can go back to the households and impact more people and, and scale that. So I think financial health can be measured in so many ways. In yeah. fact, next in the, in the next two weeks, I am in a conversation about financial health with our partner, UNCDF. Mm -hmm. uh, which is exciting because I think we've talked so much about financial inclusion and we've forgotten to talk about financial health. So I'm glad to be part of that conversation because mm -hmm. it's also just going to be a lot of case studies of the work we've done in possession in Ghana with our partner UNCDF in really driving financial health and we've educated so many SMEs that didn't understand credit and now they're able to take credit and use it productively. And now we can measure the impact of that with the education we gave them. Um, I think the other way is access to market opportunities. If yeah. we can be able to open more opportunities, not just to SMEs, but the entire ecosystem. How we measure that um, is, of course, also with the, the benefits and the value that comes out of those opportunities. So I think there's so much we can look at, Patrick. But uh, yeah. we can't also forget this is going to be a collaboration effort. Yeah. Um, I think... It's important that we look at things from the point of impact. Is You can create it as a solo company or, or industry, but when you collaborate with other people, I think it's much more bigger. And that's where we as Pezesha, we've really believed that uh, this is going to be a collaboration effort to create much more meaningful impact that uh, we can be able to look at the long term and say, wow we are closer to getting to meaningful financial inclusion in a much more bigger way. And um, my only prayer would be that ethical practices is built into that because I don't believe that these are completely new ideas. Um, but uh, some of the reasons, just to add on to what you've said, some of the reasons some of these initiatives don't take off is that that missing piece of ethics and uh, morality, I dare say, um, is missing in the implementation, in the education, um, 
And so, you know, our problem in Africa and it's not unique to Africa. Um, my only prayer in this would be that it's built in and I'm sure that you have plans to also teach about ethics and, and to change the culture, to become more positive in that sense. Um, so thanks for that. I'm, I'm, it's really inspiring what you've said. And uh, what other advice would you have for any listeners considering a career uh, or as employees or just as founders, as builders, as movers and shakers in this space in fintech, but also with your career, it's been very broad not just in fintech, but you've, you've had an impact on many industries, many spaces, on many people. What advice would you have uh, for our listeners um, considering a, a journey, a pathway similar to yours? Wow. Um, Loaded question, yes, I know, but... Uh, exactly. But I think I will summarize it into one word, resilience. Mm. Um, resilience is what COVID has taught us and what the world needs for the next innovators um, to really em embrace resilience in a new dimension. Um, resilience is not just about being patient and not giving up. It's become more than that. It's now about being intentional. It's about um, using data and let data guide you in how you do things, but more importantly, also taking full power into the opportunities that present themselves. And so for me, I think that's still uh, a journey I am always learning how to continue to be resilient. It's just, it's always, you can't say you're 100% resilient. You are always learning as opportunities present themselves, as challenges present themselves. And, and as I told you earlier when we started this conversation, building a trust infrastructure, especially in the financial sector, it's not easy. It is hard. And so anyone who wants to come into this space, they have to realize it's not just about saying you're providing credit or you're doing lending and you think that you are having a business. It is figuring out all those layers that are really complicated in their own self. We're talking about the origination layer. We're talking about the credit scoring layer. How do you make sure that your underwriting is really good that you are also de-risking people's, um, you're de-risking and reducing any frictions in the end. How do you make sure that um, the money that is flowing in your platform is really in an efficient manner? How do you make sure that you meet customers' expectations? How do you make sure that your technologies are up to date and the security and the trust that is needed to make sure that happens? The vertical integrations, not to forget that, which we've done in possession, so many and so there's quite a lot of work to be done to really build a, an end-to-end -end infrastructure. But this is the right time. The COVID has brought a lot of opportunities, but also we're starting to see Africa rise, Paystack, Flutterwave. There's so many examples I can give in this call about infrastructures that have risen. And so Pezesha is just enabling that same infrastructure in the lending space. So we want to as Pezesha, we want to be the combination of those platforms where you can build an infrastructure for embedded finance and also open up those APIs to anyone who wants to plug in the same value to their customers, to their merchants at the same time. And of course, um, make sense of uh, that data and, and provide other value-added services and uh, products and, and on top of that. So we're very excited about the future. 
But I think my advice to many upcoming fintech entrepreneurs is you have to be resilient and 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 understand that um, um, the market needs an end-to-end product. Um, and more importantly, understand what your customers need and, and build relevant solutions because that's what Africa needs uh, to be able to change Africa. We are the only ones who can be able to change that narrative. We'll build Africa solutions by Africans for Africa. Thank you. Wow, thanks, Hilda. The product is always as good as the process. Um, so thanks for that. Um, if you're resilient, persistent, perseverance, it will take you a long way. So I can't put it better myself and I can't think of a better time to leave this here. This could go on forever. So many gems, so many wise words. Um, and I hope our listeners enjoyed it. You can hear more about the Pezesha story at pezesha.com. That's P-E-Z-E. SHA.com. But if you'd like to follow up directly with Hilda, perhaps Hilda, you'd like to share your socials for our audience? Yeah, I think uh, you can reach out to me via LinkedIn. I'm very active there. Um, we're talking of uh, Hilda Mora as my LinkedIn profile. My Twitter profile is the same. I think those are the medias that you can find me and, and actively respond. Of course, you can also reach us to our company email, hello at possession.com. H-E- double L O at possession.com and we will respond. And uh, of course, we are always excited about collaborations to really continue to scale the great work we're doing to enable SMEs with the right affordable working capital. Thank you. It's definitely been a pleasure having you on our show, Hilda. You're a true change maker and I look forward to following your story and having you back on our on our show. Thanks Thank for, you. And for, thanks so much for your time and let's keep in touch. And please get in touch with Hilda. She's really doing something big on, on the continent and globally. I'd like to urge our, our listeners to, to keep up to date with her. Great. Thanks, Hilda. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at voiceoffintech.com. Happy to hear from you. Thank you.